0: If you have a Bible, I'd like you to take it out and find Exodus 33 and 34. Uh, This series is a little bit different than our normal sort of Sunday morning plow through a book of the Bible. Uh, Each week, I'm trying to center us around one particular text. and This morning, that's Exodus 33 and 34. We're going to get there in a few minutes. We're also looking at a lot of other verses. I'm going to put those up on the screen for you this morning So that you can follow along. This series is titled The Character of God. And in this series, we're asking the questions, who is God and what is he like? What are the things that the Bible tells us about God that we need to know and understand? Not just intellectually, not just cognitively, but emotionally. Things that we need to celebrate, things that we need to be thankful for. And so here's the list that we're working our way through. We've looked at God's holiness and his self-existence and his sovereignty. This morning we're talking about his goodness. And in the future weeks, weeks to come, we'll look at faithfulness, power, patience, wrath, and love. I want to begin with a quote this morning from J.I. Packer. If you need a good book to read at some point, Packer is a great person uh, to look up. You can buy his books online. You can get them at Christian bookstores. Packer says this, The highest science... The loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls Father. He's saying the most important thing that we can stop to think about Of all the things that we think about, the most important thing that you and I ever think about is God. Now, that doesn't mean it's the only thing that you're going to think about. You're going to think about a lot of different things this week. Packer isn't saying you need to be thinking about God 24-7, 365, but he is saying you should think about Him. There should be times in your life during the week beyond this hour beyond maybe a Wednesday night church service where you are intentionally stopping to just think about God, who He is, and what He's like. We should think about Him, and when we think about Him, we should think rightly about Him. We want to think thoughts that accord and line up with the Scriptures, not just sort of whatever culture tells us or whatever may pop into our minds, And so this morning we're talking about God's goodness, and in English that means we're talking about three words, and I just want you to think about those words this morning. We're talking about the words good, better, and best. Good, better, and best. They all apply to God. We use those words all the time. You've used those words in a number of different contexts this morning already. I just want to give you a few examples of how I used those words Monday. Monday's the day I usually sit down and start outlining and thinking about my message. And so Monday, I just sort of made a list of some of the ways that I use these words in a sentence. Is Monday morning. I'm a morning person. I like the beginning of a new week. So I pulled up to school with my kids in the back of the car. I was excited for the week. They were not so excited for the week. And I said, I hope you have a good day at school. And if you're a parent or a grandparent, you probably have in mind sort of the things that are running through my mind when I say, I hope you have a good day at school. So I dropped them off, not a lot of smiling. But I dropped him off, made it into the office. Corey came into the office, and I'd been telling Corey about a uh, commentary. It's a new commentary. just came out on the book of Revelation, and I bought it. And I, I told him, hey, I think you should get it. I think you'd enjoy it. And we're having a conversation about it. And I said, I think it's the best commentary on the book of Revelation that I've ever read. So we use the word best, speaking about a book. Then I went to lunch with my wife. Picked her up from work. I said, where do you want to go eat? She said, let's go to Red Oak. So we went to Red Oak. She likes to order fish at restaurants. I don't understand that. So she ordered fish. I ordered the prime rib quesadilla. About the most reasonable thing you can order at Red Oak. And I looked at the two plates and I said, mine looks way better than yours. This looks way better. I ordered correctly. I'm not sure you made the right choice here. She thought it was good. Mine was better. So, thinking about these terms, later that afternoon I went to a basketball game, middle school girls' and middle school boys' basketball game. I didn't have a lot of opportunity to say this, but a few times during the game I did say, hey, good shot. Not a lot, middle schoolers, but a few times you're watching the game and you say, hey, hey, that's a good shot. Sometimes you think to yourself, you should have taken a better shot, but It's a good shot. Then I went home, watched the college football national championship, watched the two best quarterbacks in college football play each other for the national championship. Good, better, best. I just want you to understand, when we talk about the goodness of God or when we say that he's better than any other god, or when we say that he is simply the best, good, better, best, we mean something a little bit different than what we mean when we talk about Mondays, commentaries, quesadillas, middle school basketball, and college football national championship. We use those words all of the time. But when we talk about God and we say we're going to sing about and talk about the goodness of Of God, we need to make sure that we're thinking biblically. We're thinking, what does the Bible say? How does the Bible set the parameters for God's goodness, for God being better than anyone else, for God being the best? And so we need to start with a definition. So here's the definition. There's some notes in your bulletin you can follow along with some of these things that we're talking about. Goodness defined. God's goodness is that which disposes God to be kind And benevolent to mankind. It's the attribute of God, it's the the characteristic of God that disposes him or inclines him or moves him to be kind to us or to be benevolent to us. And when we talk about God's goodness, I think it's important to remember that God is eternal. And his eternity impacts all of these attributes that we're talking about. That's especially important with his goodness. When we say that God is good, we mean he's eternally good. He's not increasingly good. He's not good just depending on our circumstance or our situation. Uh, Just to be honest, there are times in your life where you're going to question this doctrine, this truth. You're going to find yourself in a, cir- a circumstance or a situation and you're going to step back and say, God, I don't see your goodness in this. I-, I don't know that I feel in my gut your goodness right now. And in those moments, I have to remind myself and you have to remind yourself, he's eternally good. It's, it's not increasing, it's not decreasing, it's not based on our perception of his goodness. He is, has always been, and will forever be good, better, best. So that's the basics. And we take all that and we add it up, and we've got a little thing that we do in church from time to time. I don't know if your church did this growing up. My church did not say this growing up, but I remember hearing it and learning it at camps. In a setting like this, somebody will say, God is good, and the people say, and then somebody says all the time, and you say, Right? That's theology 101. He's eternally good. When? All the time. All the time. Eternity past, now eternity future. That's a true thing, and we proclaim it as God's people. Now, let's go one step beyond that as we think about God's goodness. One step beyond it, and this is really important. God's goodness is both an inherent goodness and an expressive goodness And this is really not that hard of an idea to get. You're going to get it, but it's really, really important. When we talk about God's goodness, we're talking about his inherent goodness and his expressive goodness, and you see it in Psalm 119.68. The psalmist says, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. You are good. That's who you are. We just sang that, right? Inherently, you are good. Before you even do anything, that's your character. It's your nature. You are good, and his goodness is expressed to us. You do good, right? Who you are inherently in your character is good, and the things that you do for your people in your expression of a, of, of your character is also good good he is good and he does good inherent goodness and expressive goodness i'll give you a few categories here so you can think this through god's inherent goodness it includes his holiness and his glory and his beauty and his perfection and his righteousness just all things that fall under this category of god being inherently good. We can also talk about His expressive goodness. That's His love and His mercy and His grace and His patience and His faithfulness. And everything on the right side of the screen, you can think about God's goodness expressed in a different, unique way. And I'll just tell you what I mean. God's love is His goodness expressed to human beings. He is good, but He also expresses that Goodness to human beings. He loves human beings. He loves the people that He made. His mercy, that's God's goodness expressed to those who are in distress. He's merciful. His grace, it's His goodness expressed to those who are completely undeserving. They don't deserve to experience God's goodness, and when they do experience it, that's God's grace. His patience, God is good repeatedly when we're not. Over time, over and over and over, he continues to be good. He's faithful. His goodness just continues and it moves forward unchanged. So, we're talking about inherent goodness and expressive goodness. Let me give you one simple illustration that might help you think about the distinction here. How many of you have ever been skiing? Snow skiing, okay? I tried to think this week what is the time in my life when I was the most hungry? It's been a long time since I went snow skiing. I, I didn't realize this until I started thinking about it. It's been about 15 years since I went snow skiing. But we used to go all the time when I was little and growing up. And I just remember, by lunchtime, you're so hungry. I mean, you're just absolutely famished. And you think, I will eat anything that you set in front of me. I'm so hungry. I'm exhausted. You go down. You get in the lodge. You put your stuff up. You get in line. And I just remember... Not the specifics of what we ate, but I just remember thinking as a teenager, ski lodges have the best food. Man, it is so good. That is the best meal I've ever had. It was so satisfying. It tasted so good. I loved it. And looking back on it, I bet it's not a gourmet meal that they're serving down at the bottom of the mountain. I mean, it's a hamburger or a hot dog or a chicken strip basket or something like that. They threw it in the fryer and they put it on the tray and you eat it. But when you go in there, you say, man, that is good. That is really good. And I think what we probably mean is it's expressively good in the moment, right? It's good because I was so hungry and so needy and that just really hit the spot. What we're not saying is, that would be good if I was paying $250 in a gourmet restaurant and expecting some sort of culinary masterpiece. In that setting, you would sit down in front of the hamburger and fries and chicken strips and say, eh, that's not very good. When we talk about God, we're checking both boxes. He is expressively good to his people. He is loving, and He is gracious, and He is faithful, and He is kind, and He is patient towards us. But all of those things are true because of who He is inherently. right? Psalm 119, you are good, and you do good. Inherent goodness and expressive goodness. We'll sum it up with a quote. This quote comes from Tozer. He says that God is good is taught or implied on every page of the Bible and must be received as an article of of faith as impregnable as the throne of God. It is the foundation stone for all sound thought about God and is necessary to moral sanity. He's saying a lot of stuff in that quote, but one thing he is saying is this is foundational to knowing who God is. If you don't really wrap your mind around what it means to say that God is good, wherever you go beyond that, you're going off track. You've got to nail this down and understand what the Bible means when it says God is good. That brings us to Exodus 33 and Exodus 34, and a story that you're probably familiar with. Let me give you just a little bit of the background before we jump in and read from the end of Exodus 33. God's people are slaves in Egypt when the book of Exodus opens. And God sends a man named Moses to Egypt, back to Egypt, to Pharaoh. And Moses' job is to tell Pharaoh, The Lord says, let my people go that they may worship me, that they may come serve me. So Moses goes back. Pharaoh isn't interested. There are ten plagues where God starts to rain down and and just hammer judgment on Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And the 10th plague is the worst of the 10. The firstborn in the land of Egypt die. And the next morning, Pharaoh finally says, up and go, be gone. They're out. They're on their way. Pharaoh changes his mind. He pursues them to the Red Sea. They think that they're dead when God miraculously creates a path in the sea and they pass through on dry ground and Pharaoh's army is drowned in the wake. They move on from the Red Sea. They come to Mount Sinai. God speaks to his people. He gives them The Ten Commandments. He gives them His law. He says, This is what I expect of you as my people. This is who I want you to be and what I want you to do. And the people say, We're in. We're in. But along the way, you've seen warning signs. They grumbled about food, God provided it graciously. They grumbled about water, God's goodness. Undeserving people, God's mercy to people in distress, He provided that out of His goodness. And then there's the incident when Moses is getting the Ten Commandments on the mountain and the people are building an idol at the foot of the mountain. And Moses comes down with the tablets and he's just, he's shocked, he's outraged, he breaks the tablets when he sees what's going on. He prays for the people. He intercedes for the people. God is ready to to destroy them, and Moses stands in the gap, as it were, in between God and the people, and he's this mediator, right, this figure pointing us forward to what Jesus would do for us someday. He intercedes for the people, and you get to that point in the story, and there's a giant question mark. The question mark at that point is God says, okay, I'm not going to kill him, but this is what God says to Moses. I'm not going with you. I'm going to send you, but I'm not coming with you. Moses goes back to the Lord, and essentially what Moses says is, if you're not coming with us, we don't want to go. We got to have you. We cannot go without you. You have to go with us. You're our God, and we're your people. We don't want to go if you're not going. Don't send us. Please don't send us. And there's this conversation between Moses and the Lord. And the Lord is saying to Moses, okay, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to be with you. And Moses just isn't so sure. He's just a little nervous that God's going to send them and not go with them. And we pick up the story in Exodus 33, verse 18. Moses says, and he's speaking to the Lord, please show me your glory. Please show me your glory. And what he's really saying is, I don't want to move an inch from this spot until I know that you're with me. We've got to have you. We cannot exist apart from your presence. Your presence is the only thing that makes us unique as your people. And I know you said you're going to come. Please show me your glory. Verse 19, and he, that's the Lord, said to Moses... I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy to whom I show mercy. Notice what Moses asked for. Show me your glory and notice what God says he'll do. I'll cause all my goodness to pass before you while I hide you in the cleft of the rock. Now jump down to Exodus 34. We're going to read verse 1 to 9. The Lord said to Moses, "Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first. I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, tablets which you broke. Be ready by the morning. And come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you. Let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and he went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand two tablets of stone. Verse 5, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, that's Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious. Notice all the terms relating to God's goodness here. God said, all my goodness will pass by you. A, A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, that's he's patient, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped, and he said, if, if now I have found favor in your sight, O oh Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. That's what he's been asking all along. Please go with us. It is a stiff-necked people. Pardon our iniquity and sin and take us for your inheritance. There's a lot of things we could say. Here's the big takeaway. The goodness of God allows sinful human beings to enjoy God's Presence. It's the goodness of God that allows sinful people to enjoy his presence. What Moses really wants is the presence of God. In the context, he's saying to God, We don't want to go if you're not coming with us. And that's been in question because of their sin. And God says to Moses, I'll go. And Moses says, I need some kind of proof. I need some kind of down payment. Will you please show me your glory? And it's almost as if God chuckles at that point in the story and says, Moses, you don't know what you're asking for, Bubba. If I were just to unveil all of my glory in all of its fullness, you would be entirely consumed. You couldn't handle it, Moses. So here's what I'll do. I'll put you... Up against the mountain with your face in a rock, and I'm not gonna reveal all my glory to you, but I'm gonna cause all my goodness to pass by. Your face in the rock, my goodness will pass by. I'm going with you, Moses. I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. I'm going with you. And it's the goodness of God that allows sinful people like the Israelites and like us not just to experience God's presence but to actually enjoy it. You understand that you and I are no different than these people, these stiff-necked people, these idolatrous people. That's us. That's us. Sinful people cannot experience the goodness and the glory of the Lord in any enjoyable way, period. We can't take it in. We would be consumed. We're guilty. But what God is teaching Moses is there is a way, Moses, for you to Experience my presence. Even though you're sinful people, here's how it's going to happen. My goodness is going to pass by. And you saw the terms that we we read in verse 6. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. He's faithful. He keeps steadfast love for thousands. And he forgives iniquity. All of those terms fall under the umbrella of, of his expressive goodness. That's who he is as he expresses himself to us. I can't read the whole thing without thinking of C.S. Lewis and the Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe. And there's this scene where the Pevensey kids meet Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And they're having a conversation, and Mr. and Mrs. Beaver start talking about this character you haven't met named Aslan. They're talking about Aslan, and you're going to meet Aslan. And they say, oh, we're excited to meet Aslan. And they find out that Aslan is a lion, and everything changes. And the kids say, well, that's kind of unsettling. I don't know that I'm ready to meet a lion. And one of the daughters speaks up and says, is it going to be safe to meet this lion? That's a reasonable question when you're a child and you know you're about to come face-to-face with a lion. Is this going to be safe? And this is what Mr. Beaver says. He says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. That's what Moses is learning right here. Is it safe to be in the presence of God? No. No. In fact, it's so unsafe that God says, Moses, I'm not going to let all my glory pass by you, just my goodness, and even then I'm going to hide you in the mountain. That might be safe for you, Moses. But to just see all of my glory, that's not safe in any way, shape, or form. Not safe. The Egyptians knew that he wasn't safe. The Hebrews needed to learn that he wasn't safe. You and I, when we gather together as the people of God and we pray that God would be with us, need to realize on some level just how dangerous that prayer is. But we also need to remember he's good. It's who he is inherently in his character. And it's who he is in his grace, in his mercy, in his love, in his faithfulness, in his patience toward us. Moses had a remarkable experience of God's goodness. Right? He's hiding in a rock and... The Lord passes by, and he speaks audibly where Moses can hear it. That's never happened to me. It's never happened to you. How do we experience God's goodness today? I just want to mention these quickly so you know where to look as you're trying to seek out and experience God's goodness. Number one, in creation, we experience God's goodness in creation. Yes, the world has fallen, but there's still a truth to what we read in Genesis 131. Well, God saw everything that He had made. He looks over all that's been created, and behold, it was very good. You and I experience that. You experience it even in West Texas, with the sand and the wind and the dirt and the heat. You see a sunrise or a sunset, and it's supposed to remind you about who God is. He's good. There's good things in the world that He's created. Secondly, in the Word, the Bible. Hebrews 6 is a fascinating passage. It's a, a warning passage. We looked at it over the summer. A warning passage for those who might fall away. But in Hebrews 6, 5, there's this phrase that talks about people who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God. I hope that you've tasted the goodness of God's Word. Not just in this room when we talk about it, but in your own spiritual devotional life that you've read the Scriptures, you're reading the Scriptures, you're diving into the Bible, and that you've come to realize when you dig into this book, this is a good book. And the God who stands behind it is a good God. Have you tasted the goodness of the Word of God? Number three, just a a big category we might call blessings. And I know that that word gets abused and overused, but just blessings blessings, things you experience in your life that are good. James describes it this way, James 1.17, every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow to change. He's not changing. He's eternal, and he's good, and he gives good gifts to his people. And you experience those gifts. You experience those blessings. And they're not to be an end in and of themselves, but they're to remind you, I don't deserve this. I don't don't deserve to enjoy this or experience this. The only reason I'm enjoying it or experiencing it is because it's a gift from God. It's to remind you who God is. Fourth, Jesus. There's your big Sunday school answer. How do you experience the goodness of God? Jesus. Jesus. He's the the fullest embodiment of God's inherent goodness, and he's the clearest expression of God's expressive goodness. Titus says it like this in Titus 3. He says, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Think about what he's saying. He's saying something appeared, and it was the goodness of God that appeared. saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior and he continues so that being justified by his grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life the saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works these things are excellent they're the best and they're profitable for all people and he starts the whole paragraph off saying the goodness of God has appeared and it's Jesus he's the truest picture of who God is inherently as a good god and he's the fullest revelation of God's love and His grace and His mercy and His faithfulness and His patience towards us. And I want to add one more. It's not on your notes, so you can just fill it in. I want to add one more to this list. Providence. The idea that God is in control of our lives. The idea that God's in control of our circumstances reminds us that He's good. And we read this in Romans eight twenty eight. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. We know that in the circumstances and the the situations that we find ourselves in in life. If you follow Jesus, if you love Jesus, you know that God is working for your good. How do you know that? Because He is good. That's who He is. He can't be anything other than that. And He is expressive in that goodness to His people. We believe that in all things. He's working for our good. And so it's not just a silly church phrase when we gather together and we say, God is good, and you say, we mean that. And I I echo back to you and I say all the time, and you say, I mean, we believe that. Even when it's hard to believe that, even when we're tempted to question it and to doubt it, we believe it. Moses learned it, and it changed him. It changed him. He experienced the goodness of God, and it changed him. When you and I experience it, it ought to change us too. So i will end with this. How should we live in light of God's goodness? Several thoughts. Number one, we should be grateful. When you begin to understand deep in your heart, deep in your bones, that God is a good God, it should make you a grateful, thankful person. The psalmist says it like this. Give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he's good. Give thanks to the Lord. Not because you have a nice car. Not because you have a great house. Not because your kids are almost as good as my kids. Just give thanks because He's good. That's it. That's who He is inherently. Not even thinking about anything that He's done for you. Just be thankful that He is good. Secondly, confess. We should confess our lack of goodness confess it. This is basic theology 101, okay? Great theologians have said this for millennia. If you don't know who God is, you'll never know who you are. Until you see God clearly as He reveals Himself in the Scriptures, you will have absolutely no idea how to think about yourself. And when you look at God and all these things we've talked about, He is good. You come away and you look at yourself and you realize, I'm not. Paul says it like this to the church in Rome None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. That's us. It's us. Can I tell you what would be not good? It would be not good for the good God to pretend that people like you and I were good. That would be bad. For God to look at our sin and our rebellion and to wink at it or to laugh at it or to pretend that it was not that big a deal, it would be a compromise to who He is inherently as a good God. He's not going to do that. You're not going to deny the obvious, and so neither should you or or me. Confess it. Agree with God. God, you are good. I am not. The next step is you take refuge in God. Confess your lack of goodness and take refuge in the Lord. The prophet Nahum says it like this in the Old Testament. The Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble and he knows those who take refuge in him. This statement is given in a warning. In the context, he's warning these rebellious, wicked nations, and he's saying, God is angry with your sin. And then he just pauses and he says, but you need to remember this. He's angry with your sin, but he is good. And he knows the people who take refuge in him. Don't try to pretend that you are good. If you're not, just confess it and agree with the Lord and take refuge in Him. How do you do that? You confess your sin and you run to Jesus. That's the last thing I want you to see. We should seek to experience God's goodness in Christ. We should Seek to experience His goodness in Christ. Psalm 34 8. One last verse. The psalmist says taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge. There's that idea of refuge again. Blessed is the man, the woman, the person who takes refuge in Him. Confess that you are not good. Acknowledge that God is good. Agree with Him about the situation and run to Jesus. Don't let the things that we're talking about this morning Be an intellectual exercise. Don't let the things that we're talking about just sort of be a philosophical thought experiment on what the divine being or the higher power might be like and how it might impact your life. Taste and see that God is good. Experience it for yourself. Have the mindset of Moses. Moses didn't know what he was asking for, but he was at least asking the right person. God, I need you to be with us. I cannot leave with these people unless you go with us. And God says, my goodness will be with you, Moses. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Confess that you are not good and run to Jesus for refuge.